I trust that uh, the reading of God's Word and praying and singing has uh, helped our hearts be prepared, be ready to um, worship God through His Word. That's really what all that's about, It's to be able to uh, get ready for the Word and uh, be able to um, understand more thoroughly what, uh, what it's about and who Christ is. Now, almost all Christians look back to the very beginning of their Christian lives and they think of someone who led them to the Lord. They think of um, people who gave them the Gospel and people who discipled them. And everyone here who's a Christian has had that happen. As a matter of fact, I think we can all identify with that, can't we? And there was a very special person or persons or personalities even, that uh, might have um, come close to you and helped you know Christ. We know that happens. And sometimes it's a number of people, and of course as you go through your Christian life, it might be a number of authors uh, out of books. Uh, it might be guys we hear on the radio that are so dear to us that we've heard of a morning when we wake up and then hear it all through the rest of the morning and through the afternoon and through the night. and Stations like Bot Radio that have brought those and, and of course some of those um, guys that are so close to us. They contributed to our growth. And we know who those guys are. And we can identify with that, can't we? We can identify with all the other Christians who have been brought to the Lord and learned um, about Him. And throughout the Scripture, you'll see this continue uh, from right in Genesis and, and on through the rest of the Old Testament, New Testament. It's full of examples how this process works. When you think of Moses, for instance, he, uh, of course, he affected the, the whole nation, the, the whole amount of people that were there, maybe two million of them, but uh, there was one in particular by the name of Joshua that he helped train up to be a leader of men. Uh, you can think of prophets like Elijah and Elisha and how Elijah prepared Elisha. And quite an example there. We can think of John the Baptist um, had his disciples, didn't he? He had people that followed him and he taught them. And we can think of Andrew and... Uh, of course, uh, Peter you know, he led, led them to Christ. Um, Priscilla and Aquila. And when you see in the book of Acts, as uh, they helped teach Apollos and took him under their wing and taught him more thoroughly. And Paul gave specific instructions to literally thousands, but uh, he had men that were closer that he affected. But the one that really made an impact on was Timothy. We know about that. So teachers... Train up teachers to be teachers, to be teachers, to be teachers. We just keep handing it down. You just keep giving it to people. You can't help it. You want, you want to teach. We're all teachers in that sense. Maybe not in an official sense, but we, we are to teach somebody and just help others be discipled. That's what we're about. That's what we live for. That's really one of the reasons why we're here, to, to do that and to lead it on. If people weren't faithful to do that, we would not be here, would we? It takes somebody to do that. Well... Then you look at the example of Paul. And I've been using all of these examples. And you think, he was quite unique, wasn't he? Because he didn't have anybody that really discipled him. 
he didn't really have anybody that uh, was brought along to help in the conversion. Who explained to Paul the basics of Christianity as far as man is concerned? Nobody. As we look throughout Scripture, you're not going to find anybody. But you will find that there was one that granted him apostleship and also discipled him with the truths of the Gospel, and that was Jesus Christ Himself and God the Father. And it's mentioned right in our book that we're studying, Galatians 1.1, for uh, it starts out, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And so that's who Paul was influenced by. Now, we know that ultimately we too were influenced by God. He's the one that brought that to us. But he uses people. He uses ministries. How many ministries have you guys been affected by? Probably countless. So many different people you've learned. It's not just one person, is it? It's several that God has brought along. And uh, you've grown up in that. But Paul, he had no church council that uh, did that. He had no uh, elders or a board of the church come alongside him. And he had nobody that chose him to be an apostle. They didn't lay their hands on him and claim him as an apostle to preach the message of Christ. Uh, it's very important to note what he said though was the very authority that came straight from God that's important and the reason is is that Paul came under attack by many people all throughout his ministry that as he claimed to be an apostle and as churches accepted that people would come in after him and say he wasn't an apostle he was a fake he was a counterfeit the message that he had was counterfeit the gospel of grace and so they really ran him down they say he was um, no good and and uh, they presented what was supposed to be the truth so he has to come along occasionally and defend himself. And it's not really defending himself really as much as it is defending the truth of the message. But he has to declare sometimes that he is an apostle that comes right straight from the authority of God himself, the authority of the Word of God. And the Gospel was truly at stake whenever these men challenged Paul and his Gospel message. The truth was at stake. So he must tell them that he was chosen by God and that he is an apostle. That the message came straight from heaven. It's, it's all God's. But he gave him the authority to do that. So there were Judaizers that came in. If uh, we remember as we have been studying Galatians here, I think this is our third week on Galatians. And as he come uh, had come back to the Galatian area or he was... Uh, sent a message of what was going on in the Galatian area. There was legalism coming in. And in this case here, um, you have the, the Judaism that is coming right into the places where Paul had been and saying quite the opposite of what he had been teaching. And people are, are starting to buy that. So these Judaizers did basically three things. And one is that they denied Paul's apostleship. They really denied the fact that he was an apostle. If we do that, once we take that out, folks, we have no reason to read any of those great epistles that we so much love. Romans, Ephesians, this book Galatians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Titus and Timothy, and on and on, right? All those that he wrote. If he's not an apostle, then just throw those books out. They're worthless. Okay? 
It's absolutely worthless. That's, that's what they do. They, they start to uh, do that. So they deny his apostleship. If you're going to wipe out another man's teaching, what you do is in the first place you wipe out that authority. Um, another thing that they did is they denied the gospel of pure grace. There are only two religions. One's wrong and one's right. The right one says you're saved by grace and grace alone. That's all. The other ones, all other ones, are man-made. And all men-made religions always, 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 100 out, 100, 100% will always preach some kind of self-righteousness. You have to do this. You have to do this to get right with God. Thirdly, they denied that the Christian can live a life of grace. Not only they denied you're saved by grace alone, but they denied that you can live a life of grace. And so therefore they developed a faith works system. Sound familiar? That's, that's all the religions of the world. That's all the denominations that deny grace and grace alone. Paul answers that very first one in the first two chapters. That first one that they deny is his authority, his apostleship. That's an authority. We, we don't have written revelation today, do we? Our, our Bible is closed. It's a canon that is finished. I'm, I'm glad to know that because if there are other ones out there, then I want it. What, where's it at? What, did, did, did God speak something that I don't know about? It's new revelation. People say they have new revelation while all they're doing is repeating exactly what's in here or they're teaching some kind of false doctrine, right? It's one or the other. It's already in here. Then it's not new revelation. All the revelation we have here is here. And that's what Paul is establishing as he brings that forth. If we have new, then we need to write it down. Revelation 21 and 22, or chapter 22, is not the end of the book then. And, boy, we'd just be hunting around. Where, where else has God spoken? I've got to know that. Um, so those are three things that they did throughout uh, his ministry. And especially here. Paul comes into town, begins to speak. It's absolutely essential that people would believe that he has the right to speak the very Word of God. The very authority of God is coming from him. If they don't believe that, then like I say, there's no reason to believe anything that he says, right? If it's not from God, and Paul is the one, the instrument that's writing this down and putting this for us, um, then uh, why, why believe it? There's no reason to hear what he says. And that's why he has to establish this to the Galatians. That's why he comes on so strong as he did. And it's about the authority of the New Testament. Look how much he wrote. And others. So we ask ourselves a question as we approach these first two chapters. Is Paul's Gospel the standard here? Or can we really believe it? Is Paul wrong? And there are a lot of people, and even in the Christian realm, say, well, I believe that the, the Bible is true except for where Paul says he gives his opinions. Opinions about women, for instance. Or opinion about uh, this and that. In Corinthians, as a matter of fact, he even says, I give this opinion, not I the Lord. Well, he's, he's talking about, this is, Jesus made a statement on this, and I'm saying the same thing that he says. He says, I'm going but here's the opinion, and it's not an opinion as we think of opinion. The Lord says this, but I'm going to give you something. The Lord doesn't say this. I'm going to give you something now that He hadn't said that's still the Word of God, that's still the Word of Christ. And that's not throwing it out as an opinion, say you can take it or leave it. If that's the case, then that means the Bible is not the authority in everything that is written here. So what Paul says is, okay, I can take some and leave some. How convenient. 
God says this, but I'm not going. That part I don't like, so I'm just going to throw that out. And now, who is God? You are God because you're claiming you know what's truth in there and what's not. Once we take out anything in here and say, "Well, I can't agree with that," now we are taking on the authority, and we are into idolatry. Because either this is right or it's wrong. It's one or the other. It cannot be both. If it is, then we have to make the decisions on what's there. Right? Really important. That's how important this section is that we're in today. I I read through it and I go, oh, everybody knows the story of Paul. And uh, it's like I'm arguing with the Lord. Lord, how can I come up with something fresh on this? I know the rest of them are going to be really strong here. But this section here, everybody knows. And just going to be talking about Paul and... Actually, whenever I'm saying that, I know the Lord has got a real treat here. I'm just going to have to study hard this week. I better study hard every week, hadn't I? I better dig into this because if I just cover the basis and the very top portion, then you guys already know it. You've read it many times, and I'm just going to assume, okay, well, let's move on. No, we can't do that. So we we got, got to get into the depth here. Does he have authority? Where did he get his message? Did he make this up? What is Paul saying? Is is this just something that he concocted? Is it his own little recipe here? Got uh, people at our work that uh, choose not to believe in the Bible and choose not to believe in God at all. And they say basically that the government really is their God. And uh, because at one time they used to go to church, but they're not convinced that this is the Word of God. Not, uh, not real. Uh, it uh, doesn't affect us anymore. So, um, uh, you guys that claim to have truth, um, you're way off the mark. Matter of fact, uh, we're pitiful people. But Paul, did he say something like the Old Testament prophets, thus saith the Lord? Well, just like the Old Testament prophets, he claimed that he spoke for God. Now, either he's lying, or he's crazy, or he's telling the truth. Now, if he's lying, I think somewhere along the line, we ought to be able to catch some of those lies, right? But the Holy Spirit gave him what he was to deliver, the message of God. So he defends his apostleship. We're going to be looking at that today. And it's somewhat of an autobiography of Paul. If you don't understand exactly who Paul is, you get a really good glimpse of him just in verses 11 through 24. That's like 15 verses, isn't it? And I think if we catch on to that, it's a short summary, but it legitimizes the apostleship, the very ministry that he has. And it's good to know because he affects much of the rest of the New Testament. So if we're convinced that this man is an apostle, and if you're not convinced, we'll take this bit of information that he gives us and check it out. As, as he tells uh, about himself. What an what a overview that he had. He, he gives before he was converted. And this is your testimony. When you give a testimony, you say, I don't know how to give a, te- I don't know how to give a testimony. I'm going to give you a three-point outline in just a matter of seconds. You ready? Because if you don't know, you ought to know. And this is it. Number one, what was your life before Christ? Number two, the moment of conversion. When did that happen? Some of you might say, I don't know when it happened. It was over a course of time. Well, that's okay. But you can say, here's what started happening. And it might have gone over the course of years. You know, Many have that. That's, that's me. Some of you have an instant moment you can go right back to and know exactly when it was. And uh, don't, don't give me that baby baptism thing. That was your conversion. You weren't converted then. 
uh, you were converted. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's when conversion happens. Now, afterwards, you might want to show that by being baptized, but uh, it's not walking down the aisle. It's not saying a prayer at the, at the altar or anything like that. It can Those things can be involved in that, but that's not how you're converted. Paul tells how he, con- how he was converted. I think that's a tremendous thing. Uh, wow. What an impact that was. And then he tells after he was converted. So what is your testimony? Before Christ? What Christ did to you? And now what He's doing now. Right? You take it up to date. And you can put that in a moment of one minute, two minutes. Make it quick, short. Uh, and, of course, you probably have a lot to say there. But if you want to tell people how how He dealt with that, you say, I don't, I don't know a lot of verses yet. I'm working on it. But uh, the main thing is to be able to, to do that. Uh, that's important. So that's what Paul does. His life really was this ultimately. You can say, all of that, that's my life, but I'll tell you what, it's not about me. It's all about Christ. It's about Christ and Him crucified. So, let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. Thank You for showing us this uh, authority that Paul has. And really, it's about the authority of the New Testament. It's about the authority that You have given and written down. And we too have the authority when we preach or teach this. The authority is You. Uh, It's not some man-made concocted message, but it's something that came straight from the Creator of the universe. Thank You, Lord, for helping us to understand that. Help us to understand more uh, as Your Holy Spirit leads us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's take the... Pretty good chunk. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's read verses 11 and 12 when we start out. This is point number one, Paul's gospel message. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. What Paul claims here. I cannot claim. I don't have a revelation of Jesus Christ and I don't have any kind of new truth I can write down like Paul did. This is quite a claim to say that a message comes from God. I can say everything in here is a message from God right here, right? What he received was a revelation from Jesus Christ as he wrote down exactly what the Holy Spirit inspired. Now, we are not inspired people. Not as much as uh, you, you hear people, I, um, Bill Gaither was inspired to write his songs. We know what he's saying. I'm not knocking him down. Anybody else is saying, I was inspired to write a song. Well, okay, we know what they're saying. But were they inspired by the Holy Spirit to write something on par with what Scripture is? No. It's still from them, although they are illumined. And I like that word. We are illumined by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit. Illuminated. You know, the the truth becomes true to us now. I mean, the light turns on. We're able to see it, right? Illuminated. And that's, that's key. So the Holy Spirit illumines me right at this moment to not only read it, to study it, start getting understanding, but to speak it and say what Paul meant to say. That's all I want to do. I don't want to make it say something else. I want it to say what he meant it to say as he said it to his readers 
and of course the language that he used there so there's interpretation involved and I want my interpretation to be as accurate as it possibly can if I give you anything else that really doesn't mean that sometimes I'm not convinced and sometimes there are a lot of different routes you can go on a place sometimes I might get a couple or three different things I don't want to confuse you but eventually I'm going to have to probably draw one here and say here's what I think so whenever I say I think um Maybe the writer didn't exactly mean that. I hope he did. Otherwise, if I don't think so, I'm not going to tell you. But here's what I think. And a lot of other preachers you'll hear, they'll say, here's what I think about this passage. That doesn't mean that you have to buy that, but check it out and examine it. It might be worth thinking about. These are some deep truths that are here in this uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's incredible. And we have minds that are trying to learn more and more and God just doesn't give us something that you know everybody can get the very first time they read the Bible and it's something simple. So therefore, if that be the case, you really wouldn't have to pick up the Bible anymore because you already know what it means. But that's why there's encouragement here. The more you pick this up, the more you're going to find out that you didn't know. You think you got it all? <laughs> just keep reading and you'll find out. Anyway, I have to be doing this accurately and we know that Paul is saying, I spoke by revelation of Christ. I don't want to muddy that up. Paul's saying, what I'm saying is on par here with the Old Testament. What I'm saying here, Paul is saying that what those Old Testament prophets wrote, this is just as equal as that. It's no less. Now, that's quite a claim. If somebody comes along and says that, and he better be ready to defend it. Paul does. And he starts off with, for I would have you know. I want you to know this. I really want you to understand this, folks. And he calls them brethren. That the gospel, which was preached by me, that gospel of grace, it's not according to man. I mean, no man made this up. He's saying he didn't invent this message. Paul, through his brain that he had, which was amazingly intelligent, did not come up with it on his own, nor did any other man. It's completely divine. It's all of God. Aren't you glad that you can sit here and read today a message that came right from God? I mean, He wrote you a letter. He wrote you a book and said, Here, this is from me to you. Yeah, take it and read it. Take it and eat of it, right? If man did write some of this, I want to tell you what it would be. It would be a mix of man's righteousness involved in that. Somehow, man is always going to put some kind of credit there with God. Because he wants a teeny bit of glory himself. We're going to have that, but it will come later. Right now, and it's all God anyway, right? All I know is that this gospel is completely from God. The gospel says that you are helpless that you cannot improve yourself and make yourself so good that God then would finally accept you. I'm going to clean my act up and then I'm going to go to God. Has anybody ever said that? (laughs) Have you heard anybody say that? Oh, That won't happen. It cannot happen. Never has. The Gospel says that the very best that you can do to make yourself better is never good enough. No matter how good you get, start thinking of some of the best people that you know of. And I'll tell you what, they all fall short, don't they? You betcha. 
You're not ever going to be good enough. The Gospel says that your self-effort will send you to hell. Wow, Dennis, that sounds kind of harsh. Your self-effort. That's where it's going to wind up because that's a stench to God. He does not accept your filthy righteousness. Self-righteousness. This Gospel that He had was not man's Gospel. It's not according to man. We've heard of the Gospel according to Jesus. The Gospel according to the Apostles. But it's not according to man. Ever. Aren't you glad to know that? I mean, the government's showing us that they don't know anything. and Everywhere you look at, the people of high authority used to respect. You look at them and you go, oh, I wouldn't want that for eternal truth. I mean, I got... You know, these guys are pretty smart. You start seeing that people really aren't that smart, are they? The scientists, they don't know anything because they think we came from, a, like like you guys saying earlier, monkeys, you know? Not receiving them, man. The very fact that Paul preached what was from God and, and um, man is that this was a gospel of grace, okay? And not of works. The very fact that he preached that is a true statement. And it's something for evidence. Because that's not what he preached before. I mean, it was the opposite. It was a works righteousness that he had. And so he's addressing this, not only to the Galatians, but particular to the Judaizers themselves who had done this. Their traditions were the standards of mankind. Their traditions. That's what it was about. We know that. Jesus confronted that with the Pharisees constantly. Paul had no human source. It was through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it says here. I like this verse 12. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That is a statement. Revelation there is the same word that you find as the title of the last book of the Bible. Revelation or apocalypsis or apocalypse. It means to unveil, to take the curtain back. The curtain was taken back. He saw Jesus Christ. We see Jesus Christ right in here. He saw Jesus Christ literally, physically with his eyes, but he saw something that went deeper. And uh, before he was spiritually ignorant, and he thought he knew some things. Spiritually ignorant, but now he had the revelation of Christ that validated his claim. He said, "Well, the other people didn't see that, so how can they know?" Well, he did receive uh, in a different way than we receive it. We received it. Uh, we receive it from people. God uses them. He. We were taught by Bible teachers, evangelists. We receive it through what other men have written. They help us, and you know, we we have to have those men. That's the way that God has planned it. We have to have other people edify us, and we're constantly learning. You know, those those people that you hear on the radio when they write books. Do you know that they say, oh, "I don't need to hear anybody. I'm the I'm the writer of books, and I don't have to learn anymore. I've got it all right here." No, they do the same thing as you do. They search out books too. Don't ever give up reading books. I know they're going to be hard to come by. 
you're going you're to have, but they're easier to find as you get on your electronic digital things, right? Uh, I mean, you, you have no excuse. The stuff is there. Uh, get more into depth. But uh, that, that's a visiting those. But remember, you live in this. I think Spurgeon said that. Visit the, visit good books, but you live in Scripture, right? Paul didn't get the Gospel exactly the way we did. It was a revelation of Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus not only gave Him the revelation, He gave Him Himself to Him. Huh. That's a revelation, isn't it? Okay, number two. This is Paul's message that he received from God. Here's the message. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. So he starts with, here's what I was before. Here's your testimony, right? How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But here we go. Now that was part one. Here is the way it was before. Now he says, here's what happened to me. Here's my conversion. And it starts off with like, but God. (laughs) But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, you guys get that? We're going to come back to that. You might want to underline that. So that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before Him, but I went away to Arabia, returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, stayed with him 15 days, but I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. (laughs) Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Wow. Okay, Paul. What's your story? What's the deal? How can I believe this? Well, he starts getting personal. That's the subjective aspect. And subjective is not always going to be convincing. But you can, It's pretty convincing. And say, hey, this is what happened to me. But, but the Mormons can come along and say, yeah, I have a burning in my bosom. So you're supposed to accept that. So they can say, well, the Mormons say that they have it because they have this burning. Whatever that is, the burning in the bosom. <laughs> Heartburn. <laughs> Get the fire extinguisher. Former manner of life. How utterly impossible it is that he could have ever been allured to the ranks of the apostles by any human effort. Nobody was going to be able to convince Paul. We saw how he was. The apostles were his arch enemies. I mean, he hated them. Matter of fact, he was probably going to think about how to kill them. He hated them. They were the ones spreading this message out. Why would he, by himself or by somebody's great intelligence, convince him to be an apostle? 
That's not what he wanted to do. He was never set out to be an apostle. That's the exact opposite. I think that's pretty convincing right there, don't you think? He says, I was unbelievably zealous in the Jewish faith. What's the point, Paul? What's this about? The point is, is he's saying, well, my early education, my early training, the background, my family, they never gave me this information about the Messiah, the grace of the Gospel. Nobody taught me about Christ this way. I know about the Messiah, but I didn't know Him. Nobody in typical Jewish fashion really handed that down. Really, they handed the scriptural interpretations that were put in their own writings, and it was called ancestral traditions. Paul knew those well. He didn't know the Old Testament, no doubt about it. He says, there's no way I could have learned all this from my background about Christ and the Messiah. Uh, None of those things were possible in my life, he's saying, in that way. I was a legalist of the very first order. I mean, if anybody was a legalist, it was me. I wasn't after preaching grace. It's about this legalism. So his pre-conversion is evidence that his message didn't come from some kind of human source. (laughs) Paul knew his stuff, so he thought. So we go to Philippians, and we back it up a little bit, uh, where, of course, he wrote this, but in Philippians chapter 3, he tells us, um, again, basically the same thing. A lot of this sounds kind of familiar to some of you who've been at the Bible study on Wednesday nights. It just kind of supports what we've been dealing with, uh, especially this week that we're... We're hitting on almost hammers on like uh, Acts chapter uh, 8. Philippians 3, 5, and 6 says this, Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. Okay, Now he's going to boil this down. All baby boys really were circumcised the eighth day if you're a Jew and the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin oh now he's really getting this there were two tribes down south Judea you had the Judah and Benjamin Hebrew of Hebrews now he's clarifying it as to the law of Pharisee okay you know about the Pharisee he's a Pharisee as to zeal persecutor of the church a persecutor of the church. This is what he did before Christ came to him. He killed Christians. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. As far as he was concerned, he practiced the law all the way in every aspect. But when you really come down to it, no, he didn't. He broke all of them. And the one that he really found out that he broke was the Tenth Commandment about coveting. And that uh, that sang a song to him. The law killed him. That's what the law is supposed to do. He was self-righteous. But if anybody was righteous, I wouldn't have wanted another man. This is the guy I want to follow right here. This, this Paul, his teachings are fantastic. But he was short of some things. Short of Christ. So, Orthodox Judaism, blameless under the law. Uh, quickly, seems like Wednesday night here just for a moment. Hang with me. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. We were there last week, I believe, weren't we? By the way, 
Put a plug in for Wednesday nights. We've been having a great time at the Bible study on Wednesday nights. If you haven't been there and you have a chance and you're just sitting around not doing anything, I invite you in. Quite, quite active, the book of Acts is. Rather exciting. But Saul began ravaging the church. Ravaging. Entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. He'd ra- he would go in, it might be midnight, You've heard of things like that. March into the house with soldiers. They would go in and drag them, literally drag them on the ground, take them out to the street, whatever they had for handcuffs or stocks, bonds, whatever, you know. That sounds like economics or something. Anyway, they would take them to prison. Of course, they would somehow do whatever it took to get them out of the house, get them out of the family. It might take all household, or they might take mom or dad or the kids if they become Christians. And he had heard about that. Chapter 9, verse 1 and 2 of Acts. Now Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, and that's what they first started calling the church the way. Now today there is a cult called the way. So just, just a warning there. Right? Both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Bound. Both men and women. So that's how far he went. I mean, that is pretty well as far as you can go, isn't it? Uh, Acts 22, 4 and 5. Uh, He gives a testimony here. As he gives his testimony, he says, this is what I used to do. Yeah, I know. I'm a Christian now. I don't do this anymore, but I want to tell you how terrible I was. I persecuted this way to the death. means he killed him. He murdered him. Murder. He had murder. He had blood on his hands, folks. And God made him an apostle who we adore the writing of him, and he was a murderer. Are you kidding me? Binding and putting both both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Chapter 26 gives his testimony again. Verse 10 and 11. Keeps giving his testimony. He says, here's what I was like. Oh, how I regret this. He never forgot it. How, how could you? And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. What? Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons. He did that. We hear about nations doing that today. We hear about the talk that it might happen in this nation. It was happening there having received authority from the chief priest, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. As I punished them often in all the synagogues, he punished them in the synagogues. I tried to force them. Look at this. If he couldn't get anything out of me, he'd try to force them to blaspheme. And get this. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. You think Paul had a lot of zeal to kill Christians? Zeal sometimes can be a very good word. In this case, he went to the ultimate. 
He was the hater of haters of Christians. We have haters of Christians today. And you know some of those very same people are going to be like Paul. And they'll be Christians too. And say, not that guy. He's not, he wouldn't have a chance. Well, let's look at Paul and what he did. And I mean murder is pretty well going to the top of the line, isn't it? Boy, are those graphic? Paul gives a lot of information about himself. I'm sure that he was really ashamed of. But he knows he's saved by grace. Paul was a product of religious upbringing. He was fanatical in his beliefs. He viewed Christianity as the ultimate blasphemy. What a turnaround. He was personally responsible for the very first church martyr. You find it in Scripture. That's Stephen. Acts chapter 7. What you see here is that Paul is making a point. There's nothing in his life in his past life, and his background, that would cause him to invent a new gospel message. It took God's direct intervention to turn Paul around from what he did. To change that mind of Paul, it's going to take a supernatural intervention just like it did to you. You might not have murdered anybody, but you murdered people in your heart. You might not have lied. Oh, well... We can go all right on down that law, can't we? And if we've just broken one, we've broken them all, just like a pane of glass. Paul wasn't going to get changed, except for supernaturally, like we all do. Paul never got his message from men. He blazed a trail. Um, you notice that on your outline there? He blazed a trail. What do you mean he blazed a trail? And we're in Galatians 1, right? Verse 14, And I was advancing in Judaism. As if all of this was not enough, he kept advancing in this self-righteous way. That word advancing is like a pioneer. It's like somebody who's going to go into a land that nobody has been into. Um, they blazed the trails here in America, didn't they? Pioneers. Well, he advanced it. He went to where nobody else had done in Judaism. Isn't that just like God? To take the number... Public enemy, number one. That's not John Dillinger. It's Saul of Tarsus. Public enemy number one. Of all the persecutors, he's the worst. Now we go to verse 15 and 16. But when God... This is the second part of your testimony. But when God had set me apart, even from a mother's womb, God had already done that, called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, to a murderer, to the ones he persecuted. Matter of fact, he said, Paul, why are you persecuting who? Me. Jesus said, when you persecute my people, you're really persecuting me. When you do that, you know who you're really doing that to? You ever heard of that expression before? And God was pleased to reveal His Son. 
I don't understand this kind of grace. Because that's not the way we usually operate, is it? Do you think he was looking to be saved? Nope. Wasn't any through uh, educational process. Wasn't anything that Paul made a decision of. A decision had already been made. It was made before he was in the womb. He was set apart in the womb. John the Baptist, same thing there. Jeremiah, Isaiah. And it says in Ephesians that He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us and adopted us as bad as we were and put us into the family. Paul didn't stop and reflect one day and says, Huh, you know, I'm tired of killing those guys. I think I'll change my mind and start believing that Gentiles can be saved by grace. I think I'll do that. Do you think he came up with that? How smart we were. I think I'll follow Jesus Christ today because I heard a great message and I heard the song Kumbaya around the campfire eating marshmallows and throwing cigarettes into the... The decision had been made. I like Romans 9, 11-13. Even from the womb, God sets people apart. But we know it was really done before the foundation. But uh, in, in Romans chapter 9, verse 11-13, real quickly, and boy, the time has gotten away. Where did it go? For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, that's Jacob and Esau, folks, they hadn't even done anything bad. So that God's purpose, according to His choice, would stand. Not because of works, not because of how good they'd be, because neither one of them were any good. Jacob's name means deceiver, by the way. Uh, because of works, not because of that, but because of Him uh, who calls. It's all God. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Well, that's not right. The older will serve the younger. Just as it's written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. By the way, Sarah and Rebecca are involved in there. And I, I think uh, Rebecca can identify with that real well. Rebecca, I think, don't you have a sister by the name of Sarah? Sarah. <laughs> anyway, Jesus was revealed. Paul didn't choose God. Jesus told the disciples, I did not choose, you did not choose me, I chose you. Wow. You go to Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, He chose the nation of Israel. Was it because they were so good? Because they were such a neat group of people, and they are so praiseworthy, I'm going to bring them on in. No. Out of all the nations, He chose them because out of His own love. That's what He wanted to do. His purpose, say what? Doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense that He would save anybody when we realize how desperately depraved we really are. The grace of the Lord stopped Him in His tracks. He's on the way to Damascus. And you want to know that story? And I am sorry. I would love to read Acts chapter 9 today. Because that's the story of Paul. It's homework today. This afternoon, you don't have anything to do and you're sitting around and say, oh, I think I'll pick up the Bible and read. What should I read? We'll turn to Acts 9. Read through that in the light of what we're talking about. And it's his story. 
as he was going along to Damascus with some other people and they were going to go to Damascus to do what? To persecute the church. And there he is as he's on the way and God just knocks him down to the ground right there in his tracks. He stops him and God's purpose is revealed. To reveal His Son in me. To reveal His Son in Did you guys get that? I think this is really incredible. I'm trying to turn to Galatians. It's in verse 16. He called me through His grace to reveal His Son. That's the purpose. To reveal the Son. To see that Jesus was in fact the Son of God. He didn't know that. Jesus is the Son of God. That's His whole thing that He's been against. God came in the form of the Son. That's a beautiful thing. And when Paul got it, bingo, he got it. He gazed at the glory of God. Jesus Christ. He got this direct from God. And throughout the rest of his ministry, that's what everything was about. He saw the beauty in Christ. Oh, it's a beautiful thing to know Christ. And then to seek out that beauty even more. And then to seek out more. And the more and more you learn about Him, the more of the glory that you shine around you. And so, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 3.18, if you gaze at His glory and continue to learn Him, you'll be changed into His image by the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's, that's what happened. And He continued to grow in that. It began that day, but it didn't end, did it? It just kept growing and growing. Paul looked back after all of his life in Acts 26, and he's before King Agrippa, and he told him this, Who are you, Lord? And he's reflecting on what he said on Damascus Road. And he said, Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared unto you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of these things which have been seen and those things in which I will appear unto you, delivering you from the people, from the Gentiles, unto whom I now send you. And listen to this. You guys ready? To open their eyes, to turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, Why? That they may receive forgiveness of sins, inheritance among them who are sanctified by faith that is in me. Jesus said all that on the way to Damascus, or as Paul was on the Damascus road. The Holy Spirit moved into his life, and he's there to go take this and to start opening the eyes of the Gentiles. His call came directly from Jesus Christ. Just looking at his past. He had a call to serve. He was taught by the Lord Himself. Not by flesh and blood, as Galatians says here. Um, He was in the Arabia area, around Damascus, a general vicinity, that location, for three years. Around three years. Immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogues, it says, in Acts 9.20. Immediately, whenever the scales fell off, And he now knew who Christ was. 
He has been given a ministry to do. He went right to the synagogues and they were amazed at Him. And He increased more in strength, Acts 9.22 says, and He confounded the Jews. Goes in preaching, gives them the Old Testament, and says after many days, that's like after three years then, um, we know that He had been around, it's, uh, he ends up going to Jerusalem. The Jews wanted to kill Him. It took counsel to kill him. Remember, he was killing the Christians. And now he jumps to the other side. God more or less took him, flailed him on the other side. And now the Jews say, you turncoat. And they're out to kill him. In 2 Corinthians 11.23, he was talking to Aretas, or talking about Aretas, the king of the area there. And uh, he joined uh, the persecution of Paul, apparently. And so as Paul was over there in that Arabian area, it's not like the Arabia that we think of today, Arabia, um, uh, Nabate. Uh, but uh, he wasn't just sitting around. He was preaching. He was preaching the Gospel. And it had to infuriate the king Aretas. It's amazing how the Gospel just makes people angry and mad, isn't it? So he's saying, the apostles didn't affect me, even though they had good stuff. But God chose me. Finally, you know, he says he goes to Jerusalem. Uh, verse 18 of uh, Galatians 1. I'm trying to finish this out. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas. Uh, that's Peter. Peter had been around Jesus. He stayed 15 days. Didn't have a lot of time with him. But Peter knew Jesus. He had walked and talked with him. And he wants to get all the information that he can from this beautiful one. And who better to speak to than Peter? Peter's an apostle, so he's able to pick up a lot of wonderful things that he didn't know. He got to know Peter a little bit. And uh, you know the apostles were moving out and about, and he didn't really run into them, it says in this passage here. Uh, I haven't been able to really read it. It's in our text, though. But uh, James, the, the Lord's brother, he ran into. He was the preacher, the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. So he, he got to run into him. How cool that would have been as James said, yeah, can you believe all the time that he was here? I didn't even believe any. You know, as my brother, half-brother. I can't, I can't believe it, but it wasn't until after the Holy Spirit came. And um, we know, if you were to look in Acts 9, you have to just take my word for it, in verse 13 and 14, if you wanted to turn there or later, and 21 and verse 26, we see that it was very difficult for Christians to trust him because he's killing Christians. So the early church had a difficult time uh, having it, and he didn't come into Jerusalem until three years later. Acts 9.26 says he tried to join himself to the disciples, but they were afraid of him. <laughs> yeah, you know what would happen? He would come up, hey, listen, I, I know, I used to persecute Christians. I, I know I killed him. I'm so sorry. I, I want, I, I apologize. And they're saying, hey, you guys believe this? This is some ploy by Satan to let him come in here. We know if we let him in, what will he do? He'll probably arrest us. So the guy, you know, he's out there knocking on the door, and he said, hey, you know, I'm Saul. Remember me? I, I used to kill you guys, but not anymore. It's it's really different. I've been saved. And we we've all heard about that with different people. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're saying, keep the door locked. <laughs> Don't let him in. <laughs> So they didn't trust him. But you know what? There were churches in Jerusalem that didn't seem... They'd heard the story that was going on after this time period. 
There was one person, for sure, at first, that did believe him. The guy's name was Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? And he's such a gracious example and a man of love there. And So he, he went to Paul. And of course, he was on the first missionary journey with, with Paul. They had heard that he uh, persecuted them in the past. He preached the faith which once he destroyed. It says that in our Galatians passage, verse 23. Which he tried to destroy. To totally knock it off the face of the earth, never to be the church again. That's what he tried to do. Paul was writing this about himself. Let me show you something exciting. Verse 24. We're ready to close here, I think. They glorified God on account of me because of where I came from. It's so drastic. They were glorifying God because of me. You know, I think this is such a slam in the face of the Judaizers. They glorified God because of me. The Judaizers. These guys are supposed to know something, right? The Judaizers, these guys are smart. They're intelligent, man. You know, they know the Old Testament and, man, they know the, the law. And it's these people that are just the common people. They glorified God because of what He did with Paul. People in Judea. The plain old people in, uh, in Judea. He had been a persecutor, but then he preached the faith. They glorified God on account of that. The all-wise Judaizers, they don't know as much as people, as the regular people in Judea. They were glorifying God. They weren't even suspicious. Came convinced. Lastly, I've got to close with this. Got two and a half minutes. Here's the application. So, what's this mean to me today? It just seems like a lot of history and an autobiography, and uh, so, okay. What do I do? Well, one thing we can say to reject Paul is to reject God. <laughs> what Paul says is true. And I know I've belabored that. I've gone on and on about it. You can say, I've heard it. I've heard it. You told it about 30,000 times a day. <laughs> New Testament is authoritative. Preaching to the choir, you already know it. Two messages. Two messages we get today. One's true, the other's false. Man-centeredness is false. God-centered gospel is true. Believing the true one is the most important thing that you can ever do. Paul is forcing on us the issue of truth. We are in a battlefield where if you didn't know any better, you'd say we're losing. In this world, it looks like we are losing. The church numbers are dwindling like you wouldn't believe. People don't go to church anymore. Don't need to. Doesn't have the truth. In some cases, you're probably right. Don't want to go there. If they don't have the truth, why would you go? All we're going to do is say, you need to be good. I know that. How can I be good? Why would I be good? I think our culture communicates the exact opposite of almost everything that we believe. You can go right on down the list and it's becoming more and more apparent. They're expressing opinions out there and you are the light of the world. You are the salt. 
you have what can penetrate into the darkness. It's just a little candlelight. That's all you need. It's amazing what just a little bit of light can do in, in darkness. You're seasoned. And the basis is the very rock of truth. Rock salt. Sounds uh, like you can say, well, that, am I supposed to answer their, their questions? Maybe they don't have questions. Maybe I need to think about and to get them to answer a question. They're going to spout off things that are the exact opposite. You're in the best position that you can ever be because you do have the truth. And it's not subjective. It's objective truth. The person of Christ. And you say, well, I don't know a whole lot. I don't either. It doesn't matter how much you know. It's who you know. And what you have here can be very offensive. Once you start making claims about, here's truth. Right? They're going to start doing something. They're going to start giving you critical questions. And you can say, I don't know if I can handle that. Yeah, you can. It's okay. We ought to be able to answer them because uh, Peter says, be ready to give an answer to them, to defend the faith. Apologetics. Apologia. If they probe your view of reality and say, well, I'd be glad to tell you. And you can start proceeding whatever the gospel is. You can give your own, own story of what happened. And then what I want you to do is turn right back around and then give them the question is, why do you think what you have is truth? Why is it? I'll guarantee you, you know you have truth on your side and they don't. Where did they get their truth? From man. Or their, even worse, their own thinking. Well, I just believe it. That's what they'll say. Oh, here's what I... I believe we came from the monkey. Well, why is that? Where where does that come from? Where did the monkey come from? Just keep questioning them all the way back to uh, something that comes out of nothing. Bring them all the way to that if you can. They've never thought through the ultimate questions. Where I came from. Who am I? Where am I going? If there is an eternity, if there is a heaven, am I going to go there? And why would I go there? Get them to those questions. If you can get them to those questions, now you've got them exactly where you want because you have the answer. Let them come on down into the playing field. Call them from the stands and say, okay, here's what you're saying. And I gave you evidence. I gave you truth. Now I demand that you give me evidence of what you believe in. You confirm the very best reason. Because you have truth. And being a Christian has a lot fewer difficulties in being able to answer and making sense out of reality than anything else. What comes even close to our truth, our gospel truth? The government? Is that what we're waiting on? Uh, humanism, right? That's what's big out there. Humanism, which denies God. Atheism. Be a light of the world. Raise a question of truth. When the piling up of opinions darkens the issue, truth will win. Guess what? I said it looks like we're losing. 
never in a moment. You look at the book of Acts and it looks like sometimes they're losing. Stephen got persecuted and martyred and guess what? The seed of the church the blood of the martyrs and the gospel spread as persecution just exploded across the scene and there were more people ever trusting in Christ than ever before. The truth marches on. That's why that song is so good. The truth continues to march. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word. Thank You for Your truth. Thank You for the gospel message of grace. For Christians are the only ones that have that truth that will get one to heaven. Thank you, Lord, so much for what you have done for us. In your Son's name, amen. We're going to proclaim that truth. I know it's near the end here, but uh, we're going to, uh, matter of fact, as, as Bob takes that, I'm going to have you, if you can take the juice around. We proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins by that grace saves.